calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Okay, here's how Miro works. See? It's amazing! What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Everybody and welcome to this spoiler review for episode three of season three of Picard, brought to you by the from the Geek. Who's doing it, buddy? Hey, we got. You know what? We should have Shannon come on just for that. Like, like the opening logo, yeah, of the Star Trek. Just have like him come in and be like, "I'm gonna do my little bit," and then he could just get out of here. Yeah, he'll be, like, trans- he'll be like, I could, I could do a thing where he transports out, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but we, yeah, we're diving into episode three here, seventeen seconds, which of course refers to Riker's time going to see Thaddeus when there was some trouble in been born, and also Picard possibly experiencing seventeen seconds going to see if his son Jack is going to survive an attack from Captain Vatic. So a lot to get into here in this episode. This is, uh, you know, we've got Beverly Crusher in place now. Worf is in place now, Michael. A lot went on here. We had this incredible scene between Picard and Crusher about her hiding the birth of Jack from him, seeing a woman's point of view, a man's point of view, hashing it out here over this situation. We see Riker and Picard going at it about tactics here as a captain slash admiral or versus admiral who's right, who's wrong. Uh, Picard even throwing a personal jab at him, saying, you know, you can't be commanding from a sense of loss, a fear of loss. So really kind of getting, a, you know, as friends do, jabbing in in the lower areas there, a little bit below the belt. And also we've got this scene with Rafi, or this uh, storyline here with Rafi and Worf 
becoming partners, getting connected here as they go after um, what they're trying to find out is who is behind this whole plot. And then, boom, Changelings. Hello. Shout out to Odo. Changelings here, Michael. So a lot in this episode. Talk to me about your overall thoughts on episode three here of Picard season three. I have not been this excited to watch a Star Trek show in some time. Uh, and it just keeps delivering. Like it, this, this show continues to prove that whatever your Star Trek is, uh, it has got something for you. I mean, yeah. like we've been saying from week one, strong uh, motion picture, Wrath of Khan references. Yes. Obviously, it's a love letter to Next Generation. Got some Voyager nods in there. And now we're going big into Deep Space Nine in a bunch of big ways and small ways. So it really is just sort of an all-encompassing love letter to Trek, period. Yeah. But in addition to that, and I think this is what really uh, sets it apart from just being a nostalgia grab, it's a compelling story. It's telling good, it's telling a big good arc story, but even with this episode um, and the title 17 seconds and kind of having that scene with Picard and Riker early on talking about Thaddeus and then having that moment with Picard at the end, like they are just telling some tight stories here. So it's just, it's just makes me happy. You know, we were just talking um, on our main show this week about Chris Pine's comments about being frustrated with the Star Trek feature franchise, Discovery coming to an end. And, you know, in some ways, uh, we're saying goodbye to some Trek stuff or in the motion picture side of things we're not really seeing it get off the ground yeah. but when you have something like Picard going on that is uh, giving you the best of all the things that you loved watching Trek growing up but also giving you a really compelling story in its own right just makes me happy makes me a very happy geek today yeah I agree with you I mean it's, it, they've been it, this is the pattern they've set since episode one Weaving in old uh, original series vibes into next generation vibes with some references to other um, uh, stories and other shows for sure. But that's been the main thing, the weaving in of the original series with next generation. And again, this episode does an excellent job doing that. I've seen some criticism online from people like, oh, they're rehashing the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan storyline with Dr. Carol Marcus and Kirk and David. And I get it. I get that criticism. But just like The Force Awakens, just like Creed 3 that's out in theaters now has shades of Rocky 3, there's a lot of similarities between Clubber Lang and Damien. And Force Awakens has a lot of similarities to No Hope. There's still a way to reference stuff from the past or kind of borrow elements and still make it your own. And I think Picard is doing that in really powerful ways, in strong ways, in notable ways that work. You know, the storyline may feel familiar, but that's because... That happens to a lot of people. These storylines have uh, have um, a believability factor to them that more than one person could go through this, especially well, when you're dealing with two captains and who are the some, most people would argue the top two named captains in the Star Trek universe who have been obsessed with being in the stars, obsessed with these battles, obsessed with staying captain for as long as possible and loved being on those on their ships and being in charge of things. So we see all of that playing out here in this episode. I really enjoyed it. I like that we've thrown in the changelings now. What does that mean? You know, we're about to get into uh secret invasion on the Marvel side of things. Where's who's who's that actual person who's not? So the fact you're throwing that into the changelings, throwing the changelings into this, and that we don't know who they're going to be, it's gonna add another element of mystery and um frustration and also excitement in seeing how they're going to have it all play out here in this season. And I like this episode for doing that. And really quickly on the whole Kirk versus Picard being, uh, being, being daddies, um, you know, like I think that we, we talk about this to borrow something from our other favorite uh, uh, franchise in the stars. George Lucas does this all the time. He just captivated us with his whole, like, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. We say this all the time in Star Wars. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. So in the cyclical nature of storytelling, and we come back to these things, it's not because they are – They look, Picard certainly isn't running out of ideas. Right. No, this is an 100%. intentional choice yeah. to kind of draw these parallels, and it creates for a fascinating story. Again, it gives us that moment of hearkening back to arguably one of the best movies in the Star Trek feature uh, yes. lineup. But in addition – 
because Picard is Picard and because Kirk is Kirk, the poetry is great because they're not doing the same thing. Kirk was Kirk because he was just so emotional. I mean, Kirk was so just like fly by the seat of his pants. All of Picard as a series has been about how Picard's a little emotionally stunted. Yes. And so Picard being faced with this thing um, and also, it wasn't a surprise to Kirk. Like, I, I, I believe, you know, you remember Khan better than me, but like yeah. this whole, so Picard not knew knowing about, about this. He knew right, about Right, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's not I like a one-to-one, like, like Kirk that. was like, I had no idea and had to deal with it. He right. knew he had a son. Picard yeah. didn't know about it. And what you're drawing in the relationship with Picard and uh, Beverly Crusher, which yeah. we really dive into in a major way, but even Picard now being a father and Riker being a father yeah. and the parallels are being drawn here. Yeah. It they're, they're drawing so much much richness out of taking a piece of original Trek lore, Mm -hmm. wrapping it in with the next generation characters and then letting them be who they are and watching that happen, that this isn't a copy of anything. It's just taking one element that is a beloved part of Trek and kind of grafting it onto these characters and just making great story, which is what we all really want. Yeah. We've seen it in comics for years, Michael, new gen, new, new characters or new, uh, iterations of a team going through the same stuff, fighting the same issues or fighting the same villains. It happens and that's okay. But I agree with you. This is working its own magic and it's leading to these other things. So it's being used in a way that makes sense, but it is not the main focus of it, which I like as well. Uh, all right, we're going to dive into this thing. It is a spoiler review. And usually I like to separate these things into the two storylines, although they're starting to get closer and closer in terms of melding. But certainly here, we're still focusing on the Titan and its battle with the Shrike throughout this episode and Rafi and uh, Worf coming together and creating this partnership as they go after what we find out are the changelings here and their uh, desires to destroy the Federation. Yet again, the Federation in danger as always. All right, let's jump into this. So, so the Shrike is uh, is chasing down the Titan here in the nebula. We see the old school alert uh, red alert condition red thing that we saw in Star Trek II. The concept was great to see. The Titan is sustaining damage. Can't work, warp out. Picard is saying that, uh, that uh, uh, Vatic is being strategic and pecking at them, teasing this little battle between him and Riker. Riker says they need to hide Picard wants to fight for sure. We hear these great Star Trek II Rathacon music cues. I think Jerry Goldsmith did the score on that as well as they go deeper into what they think is the nebula. Uh, And then we go back in time to see Picard and Riker having this conversation about fatherhood and what it all means. And he hopes that he gets a son one day on Picard. We see Deanna Troy kind of pop in talking about her son, Thaddeus, their son, projectile vomiting, uh, and all that happens there. And she says, "Don't if we're coming back, don't forget the whiskey." But that's when we hear Riker talk about the 17 seconds before when he was going down from the Titan to see Deanna because there was complications about the birth with the birth of Thaddeus. So talking about what well, that's the moment that I became a father, and Picard, and uh, Picard brings that or, or confirms that as well. So uh, we're hearing that they have two hours before they can warp. LaForge checks on seven of nine. We have this uh, Nepo baby discussion about her, about her, you know, her dad, LaForge, and how when she wanted to be a pilot, they doubted her, but also about feeling doubts, uh, uh, people's doubts and then friendship. Crusher is in sickbay diagnosing pico- people. Picard and her have this conversation. So we're going to have this conversation, my, and then and then I'll stop here, but Picard and her talk and the looks on their faces are fantastic. She reveals that they got pregnant or she got pregnant when, and well, they got pregnant really when they went on shore leave in Casparia prime. And she mentions the waterfalls. I got cocktail vibes, Tom Cruise and Elizabeth Shue, but that's me. Anyway, they, we find out that they've officially been <laughs> off and on on five separate occasions. She hid her pregnancy from him. She talks about how attempts on her, on Picard's life stopped her from telling him she uses his past, according to Picard to cut him out of the biggest decision of his life. He talks about how knowing this could have changed him, might have changed him. And I think he puts a little bit of undue, although I think he's got some legitimacy in his point of view. I think he puts a bit of undue judgment on on Beverly when he says, I could have known I wasn't my father 20 years ago. But she says she lost her parents, her husband, and Wesley to the stars that own Picard. And then she also counters that as a mom, she knew she could protect her child. She wasn't sure if she could protect Picard's child. So let's stop there. A lot to get into. Riker and, and, and Picard going at it. The Shrike going after the ship. The differences between the point of view being teased of what we're going to get later with Picard and, and Riker and how they want to handle this. And also 
this incredible scene between Beverly and uh, Jean-Luc there in the uh, sick bay. Michael, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, look, they, they like I, I again, we talked on our weekly show this week about Star Trek and uh, how Star Trek Discovery was a big serialized storytelling thing and how Strange New World is more t- traditional Star Trek like yeah. episode of the week. Um, but I think that uh, and, and, and talked a little bit about what's right for Star Trek. And I think Picard is doing such a great job this season yeah. of telling this really big story. And they are just keeping the tension up and they're driving the story forward. And it's really just firing on all cylinders. And so opening with them in this nebula, again, hearkening back to Wrath of Khan and kind yes. of the whole like, yeah. the whole concept that the nebula doesn't really, you know, you can't really, all the sensors don't work in the nebula, which Khan was the first time that sort of set that up. And it's been used a lot of times since in Star Trek. Like... It's just, you know, it's the cat and mouse game. It's what everybody loved about Khan is like the whole end of that movie is, okay, well, where are they? What's going on? Um, But then taking the sidebar to jump back and have this really important conversation between Picard and Riker about fatherhood. And Riker, like Jonathan Frakes is doing what I like to call affectionately really good old man acting. (laughs) Like, 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 like I, like Frakes has always been great as Riker. He's done his thing. He's been great behind the scenes as a director, but there is just this comfortability in the role that he has just leaning back, sipping mm-hmm. his whiskey, telling stories with his buddy Jean-Luc that uh, – and, and partially it's probably the relationship that Frakes and uh, Stewart have with each other after having right. played these characters for so long. But that familiarity is seeping into the scenes, and it's making the scenes feel really grounded and really, really nice. Um and this, it's a great thing, the 17 seconds that, you know, when Thaddeus was born and he thought he was going to lose him um, and that he had those 17 seconds, longest 17 seconds of his life. And it's just really lovely conversation. Get a little bit of fun humor with Deanna Troy coming in. Why, why she has Thaddeus in engineering, I don't know. But, don't like, know. he's puking over everything. Um but like, so it's just, it's really lovely. And um, I didn't know this, somebody on Twitter pointed this out, but if you do the math based on when Thaddeus died yes. and everything else, um, uh, Picard's son, Jack um, is alive. Jack's about, Jack's about probably the same age as Riker's yeah. son as Thaddeus would have been. Yeah. Um, and so it's all just really, really lovely. And um, I will say, well, you, you kind of mentioned it, but like, we'll get to it. But the thing that Picard accuses Beverly of which is using things that he's revealed about his past uh, with his father. Picard does the same thing to Riker in this episode. He so he, he, he is guilty of doing the thing that he said he did. But um, then getting back, one thing that we didn't, you didn't mention, but I think it's worth noting, and I yeah. really liked it, is that, and this is such a little thing, so I don't know why I clocked it, but Captain Shaw, uh, when he uh, sends LaForge and the others and says, you've done your, you know, you've done your 36 hours, everybody right. go rest up. It's it's a really little thing, but you know when you're writing a script, every line is there for a reason. And I just really love that they have like Shaw's a hard ass, mm-hmm. not a huge fan of Riker and uh, Picard, but he's a good captain. Yeah, he cares. And it's about a little, crew. it's yeah. a little little thing that he does. But particularly because even in the first episode, we've set up that he doesn't want to call seven of nine seven of nine. He wants to call her Annika Hansen, and I think that you know that's like a minus in the column for him. Right. Um, and it's underscored by the fact that LaForge calls her, uh, seven. Yeah. Um, uh, Lieutenant seven or whatever her ranking is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the fact that he lets the crew go, like he just, they've done a really nice job of balancing out to be like, you're kind of an asshole and you're a hard ass, but you are a good captain. Yeah. Um, which I really liked. I really liked the LaForge seven scene. I really liked that seven of nine has the Voyager, uh, in her quarters, yeah. a little model of the Voyager. Like it, again, these little details that just show that everybody behind the scenes on this show is as nerdy as you are listening <laughs> to this right now and as nerdy as John and I are yeah. talking about it right now. Yeah. But just setting up this friendship, I mean, I think that we talked about this earlier on. I think you said this uh, in the first episode that it was really clear that um, the rest of the crew of the Titan, if push came to shove, would go with Seven of Nine over Shaw. Yes. You can yes. really tell that. And then this scene with LaForge talking about friendship and Seven doing what she did for her friends and LaForge, like her dad, 
had a hard time making friends, but when he made them, like, it's just like there, she's like a low key character to look out for because LaForge has just kind of been there. Riker kind of teased her about being crash LaForge. She's now said that like everybody expected her to go into engineering like Jordy, but she wanted to fly. Like there's like, I really like what they're doing with her because they're not hitting us over the head with her as a character, but she's present and it's really nice. Um, another yeah, great yeah, no, go ahead. Absolutely. They're slowly rolling her out, which I think is really smart because she is probably going to play a very important part in the overall story when we get into the full, full meat of the story. And I like that they're doing that with her. And I agree with you. And now uh, hearing how she talked about it and what she experienced becoming a pilot and the pushback from a number of people, when Riker brings up the Crash LaForge stuff, you now can go back and rewatch that scene and see the level she's playing of that, yeah. of how that bothers her and why that bothers her. And the smirk that she gives is something that she has had to do in order to deal with people making these comments about her. So I like that that was thrown in there to flesh out even more of her character. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And another really subtle moment. Uh, I mean, not as subtle as that, but uh, I love when you get to sick bay and Beverly Crusher just doing what she does. And Jack Crusher doing what he does. And I love that when the doctor came in and gave her the whole, it would take me longer to explain to you the advances that we've made in medicine than it would be for you to just get out of my way and I'll do it myself and goes off. I love the choice to not have Beverly Crusher uh, take that bait. Mm-hmm. She didn't respond. She literally didn't say anything. She kind of stepped back. Dr. Wadaway walked away. She kept doing exactly what she was doing. Yeah. Like she doesn't need That's to argue. Way. Yeah. She doesn't need to argue with you about why you're wrong or why she's been doing medicine for X number of years. And you don't like, she's not doing any of that. She's yeah. like, okay. And then she's just like, and it underscores kind of what Jack Crusher said last week to Picard when they were talking, which is look, they're just helping people. Mm-hmm. Beverly Crusher for the past 20 years has been out trying to help people that the Federation has forgotten and Jack Crusher has been right there with her and here they both are in sick bay doing exactly what they've been doing so again just kind of really a lovely lovely moment and then that builds to this uh, Beverly Crusher Jean-Luc Picard confrontation <laughs> and I will say I like I love seeing the old cast of Next Generation comes back, come back but just like with the original cast sometimes you're like I love you for who you are. Maybe you weren't the greatest actor. Maybe you didn't make the TV to feature jump, whatever. And with Beverly Crusher in the first episode, I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm glad to see Beverly Crusher back. But yeah. Gates McFadden, you know, are, do you still have it? Do you not? Were you really that great on the original series? Everybody was a little cheesy. She brought it in this scene. Yeah, she did. I mean, she and Patrick Stewart were going toe-to-toe, and I found this to be such a compelling scene, um, mainly because they're both right and they're both wrong. And the points that are being made on both sides, um, look, we could talk about every planet that she mentions is a reference. There's references to DS9, there's references to Nemesis. Like, they're just like, there's references to Discovery in there. Like, there's a ton of references, but that, in this case, I'm less interested in the Easter eggs than I am about, like, the meat of this scene. Yeah. Um, Because her kind of laying out that Picard, A, always made it clear to her that he never wanted a family. B is Jean-Luc Picard. So always was jumping from one giant thing to the other, whether it be the Romulans or the progenitor or, you know, or the Praetors, like whoever it was, he was off doing something or his life was threatened or he was in the middle of some intergalactic conflict. And when she says, I knew I could protect my son, I didn't know if I could protect yours. Like she lays out a very strong case for why Picard, who is an emotionally closed off person who would never fully engage in a relationship, um, who said clearly he didn't want kids, why she would make the choice he did. But Picard firing back that he took that choice away, that she took that choice away from him, that she took him out of the most important choice of his life, um, and just the anguish and anger that he has about that like I was, I was on the edge. I was as on the edge of my seat watching this as I was watching any battle in a space nebula. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a feeling when you watch any of these shows. There's always this kind of like real, real low underneath a smirk going on because you know it's not going to be that dangerous. You just sense it's not going to be that dangerous. Then this scene happens, and you're like, we're on a whole other level of acting. Like, because yeah. just the shot of Patrick Stewart 
all the kind of caring, uh, cool, you know, uh, uh, calm, uh, smirky, whatever you want to say to describe Picard, confident, whatever, uh, smart ass, whatever you want to say, it all disappears. And you see the angry Picard. You see the pissed off Picard. And he is quiet. And you know when people are pissed off, really pissed off, they get super fucking quiet. And he is so quiet here. And he's just telling her, you did this, you did this, you did this. How could you not do that? How could you not tell me? All this kind of stuff. And Beverly is, look, this scene made them both, for lack of a better term, even more human and vulnerable. Yeah. And I think you're right 100%, Mike. They're both right. They're both wrong. You can understand their reasons. And Beverly using these things that happened to Picard as an excuse was probably because Beverly wasn't ready to tell him and use these things as an excuse like a human being can do. And she's a new mom and she's wondering and she's got Wesley and she's, there's so many things that are here for her to consider and think about. She made the decision in that moment. And Picard feels like, oh, you took it away from me. I didn't know it was going to be the last time we saw each other. Why didn't you give me a chance? I could have been, I could have realized I wasn't my dad 20 years ago. I could have raised the child and all these things. So I love that they each get a chance to present their case. And we as the viewer can actually feel what side we want to be on or just appreciate two incredibly intelligent, emotionally available people in the scene going at it about what happened. And by the end, there's no real big resolution. They just accept that each other's points of views are each other's points of views about this situation. And I like that. That's more real than someone I, getting the zinger off and storming yeah. off scene. You know what I'm well, saying? And I think and I think it's left sort of unresolved with them because I yeah. think they both they both know deep down that although they're justified, they're wrong. Yes. Right. Like Beverly Crusher, Beverly, Beverly yeah. Crusher knows in that moment, looking at yeah. Jean-Luc and everything he's saying, she knows that she should have told him. Right. Yes. That she made a mistake. Now she has all the reasons in the world, and there's logic behind those reasons. Sure. You can absolutely think but, that they're valid. Yeah. But she knows she's wrong. Yeah. Right. right. Jean Luc is rightfully pissed off that he did not know he had a son. He is rightfully pissed off that Beverly didn't tell him. But he also knows he's been a closed off asshole for most of his life. Yeah, it's true, right? And he and so when she says the things that she says yeah. about him going from one thing to another and him being closed off and worried he's gonna be his father, he knows she's right. He's still pissed off about it. So they're both sort of left in this fuck. Yeah. The other person's got some points, but I'm still mad and also I'm kind of wrong too. Like it's 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 a it's a great it's a great place to kind of leave them in the midst of all this other sci-fi awesomeness that's happening around them. Right. And if he had really wanted to find over 20 years. He probably would have, considering we've seen how determined he is in these last two seasons to, you know, achieve, get these goals met and uh, violates all kinds of Federation laws and regulations to get him. So if he really wanted to find her as strongly as he seems to be in this moment, in this scene, he would have found her. So, you know, it's an interesting place that it probably worked out best for them at the time because he didn't know about the child. If he had known about the child, that's a whole other ballgame. But he didn't, so you know. And the other thing, before we before we jump yeah. out of this scene, just tying yeah. back into this scene, this scene, like emotionally and like the emotional core is great. But like yeah. the other piece of this that's really important um, that they just sort of underscore here is that uh, why why is Vatic after yeah. Jack and right. what is going yes. on and kind of this whole like why did you tell me not to trust anybody? And right. so you're like, oh well, there was Klingons and there was Federation officers, and we know by the end of this episode why. Yeah. Um, but like no matter where we went, it just seemed like we couldn't trust people. You're the only person I can trust. And I don't know why anybody would care this much about Jack. I feel like this has to do with you. And because right. it's his name on the title of the show, she's probably right. <laughs> she's probably right, 100 percent Yeah. Before we leave this real quick, just a quick Easter egg here. Riker uh calls uh Deanna Troy uh, uh Imzadi, which is a betazoid word meaning beloved. So and we first heard it telepathically uttered by Troy in the TNG premiere encounter at far point so that's a hell of a thing to be bringing into this moment but uh really nice to see it pop up here in this uh in that scene with uh with uh, troy and him all right let's take a quick break and we'll jump in to the rest of the show right after this 
Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway for You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway for You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. All right, Michael, let's head back on in uh, to the ship here. Jack Crusher and Riker have a conversation as Jack is pacing back and forth. And you see Riker become, let me tell you something. First of all, Jonathan Frakes directed this episode. I think he did a wonderful job directing this episode. But I'm going to reveal something right now. Michael was correct about Jonathan doing some great old man acting. I'm going to tell you right now, I've never said this publicly anywhere. I have always preferred Riker over Picard. Always. And I love that we're getting more with Jonathan Frakes here and the multiple levels that Jonathan can bring to this role of Riker and to see him playing the dad in essence or the dad energy to Jack here, of course, remembering Thaddeus, remember probably his own situations with Thaddeus before he passed as a teenager talking to Jack and and, and trying to get him to understand the situations here. Uh, And uh, also Jack feeling guilty. Everyone give him the accusatory stares, which was happening earlier in the episode as well. Riker saying to them, look, they rightfully have a, a, a desire to understand who they're, why they're dying or what's happening. And they want you to give them a reason to fight or a reason for why this whole thing is happening. So naturally, they're going to be accusatory towards you. So I like that. And Jack tells him about Beverly and how she started to tell stories about Next Generation, but uh, the crew and their experiences. But then she gets uh, mad and then she gets sad. Uh, and then Riker reveals that he has a family and he lost and he had a son, which really strikes Jack hard here. Um, but then Riker, then, then Picard storms out, as you mentioned, after they talk about it. They also talk about the accent here. Uh, Beverly and John Luke do. And apparently he got it because he went to study in London and it never shook. So that's the old Madonna excuse. I moved oh. to London. I adapted this English accent and that's it. Just it's the old, it's the old John Luke Picard excuse. He's French. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And um, yet. And yet, uh, but she reveals that she encouraged Jack to meet with Picard, but he wouldn't. So I think that's an important element here. Uh, Picard storms out uh, eventually here and Riker t- wants him to talk to Jack. But Picard goes into captain mode and, and puts his walls up. And suddenly the Shrike comes into view here in engineering and uh, shoots at the Titan, causing much damage. And Shaw is tore up from that strike there. You see him bloody, and I think there's bones sticking out of his knee, and he transfers command to Riker, because by this point, Riker and Picard have gotten to the bridge. Riker and Picard combine to send a torpedo out and then shoot that torpedo to give him some leverage here, and uh, uh, Picard tells Riker to call him number one. That's how we go there. Then Riker and Picard battle over what to do with Riker wanting to hide and Picard wanting to be more offensive, you see Jack back in sickbay consoling someone. Crusher is now a little bit smarter than the ship's doctor and diagnoses Shaw uh, and question. And Shaw's here questioning Jack about how Vatic keeps finding them. How does she do it? Jack initially is a bit perplexed and then seems to have figured it out, takes off. And we see science officer Tavine there, who's a Vulcan. Uh, she explains that the nebula is not actually a nebula. It's an unknown anomaly. It would be unwise to keep going. She suggests they turn around Riker agrees and get and says to get the warp ready. The Shrike is right behind them, and Vatic wants them to ready this unknown device, which they've been teased in the last episode. She shoots this portal weapon that sends the Titan deeper into the nebula, and every time Riker tries to warp out, they are brought back right to the Shrike because of this portal weapon, which is pretty fucking badass. And Picard says it's time to fight because she keeps crippling them, and Riker wants to take them back into the nebula. So let's stop here, Michael. A lot here with uh, Picard and uh, Beverly talking the accent for Jack, but also Jack not wanting to find yep. Picard. Riker and Jack, Riker and Picard, and then Shaw getting injured. And now we see Riker and Picard having to essentially co-captain 
the ship here, the Titan, even though uh, uh, Riker had been captain of the Titan before, they're co-captaining here and finding out this is not an anomaly and then this portal weapon. So thoughts on all this, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm right with you. Like Riker, sort of just like leaning up against the wall, watching Jack Pace, just so staring cool. at him. Like, wow, <laughs> they really did it, didn't they? <laughs> huh? Wow. Then what he's, I mean, like, what does he say? He goes, "Is, is I, I, I watched you getting baked up for 20 years or whatever it is." Yeah, he says. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just, <laughs> like he's just like, I, I was watching those two give each other the googly eyes. And I never, oh, wow, they did it. Like, it's just, it's so great. But I do agree with you. I think the thing that he says to him, it's kind of like, it's kind of a version of heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like Jack Crusher's like, look, I didn't want these people to save me. I didn't want everybody to feel like I was chosen over them. And now if they die, it's my fault. And like Riker being like, look, your only choice is to make it worth it. Like be, be the hero. And particularly in the same scene that he that Jack kind of says that Beverly used to talk about the adventures they went on this is like this is a legend talking about what it means to be a legend yeah like you yeah. know and it's even what what Jack says about um you know legend the reality is never were is never as good as yeah you know like the the legend the legend never lives up to the reality so there's all of this stuff happening in this scene about um you've now stepped into this role where you've been placed in a level of importance right. and the legend is like, you need to step up as the same time. And he's like, yeah, my mom used to talk about all the legendary adventures you went on, but I don't think that you guys are as good as it was. And he was like, Hey, we're all human. It is what it is. Like, so again, as we've right. said over and over again, like what this show is doing is what a lot of the star Trek motion picture with the original cast did, which is you have a cast of characters that were really at their peak at a certain point, And they've all gotten older and we're all sort of talking about, well, were the adventures you like, and it works yeah. like as Shaw is kind of making fun of Riker and Picard about, well, you guys were doing your cowboy shit. And like, that's not how it works in the Federation. <laughs> we're all sitting here going, yeah, like I love the When I was a kid, next generation was awesome. Like looking back, it's a little cheesy. Maybe they weren't quite as cool as we thought they were. So again, it's this sort of meta. We're talking about these legends who are legends in the world of Trek, but also are legends in the world of like what we grew up with. So I love everything about this scene. And then I love Picard just shutting Riker down. Dude. Right. That's just standard Will, Picard action. Standard Picard action, dude. He's like, you go talk to your son. You need to do this. And he goes, it's immaterial. And instantly is like, how are we going to deal with the situation we're in? And you're like, okay, well, we are. Okay, we are. We are. We are. Not doing therapy this week, apparently. We are just going to keep on keeping on. Um, Especially because yeah. you just told Beverly, you should have told me. I could have been a different person. And here's an opportunity for him to talk to Jack. And he's like, nope, I got to move on and take care of the ship. Yeah. Yeah, he just, he's not going to deal with it. He is no. not. I mean, it is his. As much as Kirk's um, passion yeah. was his Achilles heel. Um, Picard's lack there. It, it was his Achilles heel. Uh, not gonna, that he wasn't amazing, that, but okay. <laughs> um, not that he's not an amazing captain, but that is, uh, it's his strength and his weak. You know, you know what you say? I'll say it. I'll tell it a different way. Kirk's passion is his strength and also his flaw. Yeah. Picard's ability to compartmentalize and do what needs to get done is his strength. And in this moment is also very clearly his flaw. True. Um, but yeah, Shaw getting the shit kicked out of him, oh. everything going on. Um, it's a nice little bow on the Beverly scene with the doctor that like Beverly's been through the shit. So maybe you've got your more advanced uh, Titan class medical supplies, but Beverly knows how to call it when the shit is going on. And it's a good thing she's there. And then, yeah, like love. It, it's a really organic way for Jack to sort of get that like blood in the water moment. Like, mm -hmm. how are they tracking us? Seeing the blood on the floor. You're like, all right, I got what's going on here. So at this point in this side of the storyline, like everything is firing, like everything is going on. And yeah, then just setting up, now Riker's in charge. Picard is number one. It's a very cute line. It's really yeah. adorable, but it's also setting up like Riker is in charge right now. And this is a different relationship than the two of them are used to having when they are both on a bridge together. And that's going to reap the dividends as we get in here. And then ca capping this all off, although we saw this portal device at the end of episode one with the Academy and the way it was working the way it right. worked, but it didn't fully dawn on me then that we were going full portal, the video game here um, <laughs> and how devastating, I mean, devastating in that you can't get away from it. Super devastating at the end of this episode. But the fact that we just went full portal gun uh, in star Trek, I was super on board with. Yeah. Yeah. 
again, the way they slowly roll out these situations to make it uh, effective for you emotionally is really smart. And I'll bring up this real quick because I, I thought of it and I want to throw it in here. But also the 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 doctor moment you mentioned here with Crusher and uh, you know her saying, "Listen, you guys, let me figure this out. You, you you've got your technology." It's also commentary on, "Hey, you know, sometimes you don't want to forget the old school ways of doing things because they can come in handy for you." Yes, you you can be in love with technology all you want, but there's always the old school stuff that can work as well in a situation like this. And certainly she diagnoses uh, Shaw talking about the latent internal bleeding that can happen from concussion symptoms. So those kinds of things that maybe they don't pick up on the new sensors quite as much. So I like that we've got this idea of the old kind of combating the new a little bit to make sure they both can work together to get the diagnosis correct. Yeah, the, the Riker stuff is so, so great to see here with Jack. I love the interactions with them. And he's teaching him like a father would. He's teaching Jack what these things are that are so essential and important. But Jean-Luc, man, I'm telling you throughout this episode, sometimes, and this is why he's not my favorite. This is why I always choose Kirk. I gravitate to the passion. I can understand the passion. That is that is right there. There's no bullshit. There's no lying. There's no you know ulterior motives. He is passionate with what he is. With Picard sometimes, I have questions about his ulterior motives. He can claim like, oh, yes, I'll be your number one. But then I'm just going to batter a home until I get my point of view across and make you do what I want to do. So he at times, I think his because Kirk has never done that. No, he's never done that. that Kirk has never just battered away and been like, this is what we need to do. And he willingly concedes a situation. I mean, he's never done that. No, never say it. But I, you see that with with Picard, he can be a bit of an asshole at times, and been and be about himself. And certainly, the first two seasons of Picard have had people say this to him multiple times. Certainly, absolutely, and 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 especially with Alfred Woodard in um in a, in a, a first, first contact, contact, there's the back and forth between them as well. She's like, enough, focus. Here's, oh, yeah. but also, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see where but they go with Picard. A fascinating character. I'm not denigrating. He is a fascinating character, but the other thing I will say, and not to denigrate Kirk at all, but, and I think one of the things they do that's really interesting in this episode is usually in Star Trek, if Kirk is demanding that we have to attack, we can't, the time to run away is no longer, we have to attack. It usually ends up working out for Kirk. He's usually right. Picard does a full Kirk at the end of this episode (laughs) and it, literally bites him in the ass in the worst way possible. Like what he does at the end of the episode is what James T. Kirk would usually do. And it goes horribly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's not Kirk and he doesn't have a Spock by his side. That's a really important thing. Uh, uh, Kirk was always, uh, you know, uh, valid when Spock was on his side. Um, Let's see, where do we want to go next? Uh, Cause I want to leave the Raffi for a separate break. So let's keep going with this. We go back to the ship. Uh, Jack goes to see Seven of Nine to talk about Blood in the Waters. You mentioned, Mike, he thinks they're leaving a bread trail crumb. Uh, yeah, a trail of breadcrumbs, rather. They realize that it's the mass spectrometer tracking the verterium that insulates the warp coils and that they might have a leak. Uh, we go, Jack knocks out the guard so they can take off. They find the gas leak. Seven finds out that someone deactivated atmospheric diagnostics so they can't detect the leak. This is sabotage. So Picard, when he finds out, when Seven of Nine reports to Picard and, and uh, Riker that this is sabotage, Picard wants to use the leak and attack the Shrike. Riker wants to use the leak so as a way for them to get away so he can take the Titan home and take its crew home. The, tab- the saboteur shows up and disables Jack as Seven of Nine says she's on her way back. Uh, we see that um, we see that Jack comes to a little bit later and Seven of Nine is standing over him. And we see this weird kind of visual um or vision rather that he is getting here with seven of nine and there's these weird things growing on the ship almost like tentacles or veins or what have you i'm thinking of last of us and the fungus stuff up there anyway we see that up there it's red and she's got but then he comes to and she's the one getting him uh, awake picard heads to sick bay we see him like Riker experiencing this 17 second ride to his son's birth as now he is becoming the dad because jack might be dead he's in some issues here he's having some issues here picard eventually after checking in with jack after him and beverly have this wonderful mother and father moment with jack there as jack comes to and we see great connective tissue that lead that that connects back to the scene they had we see that beautiful moment there picard comes back to the bridge and then battles Riker about what to do in this situation and then as michael pointed out goes for the low blow here and mentions that you can't captain from a fee- using a fear of loss strategy 
And we find out that the leak is good. This upsets Riker to no end. We find out that the leak is gone. The Shrike's trail has gone cold. And then an explosion happens because that saboteur set up another explosion here. Uh, and that debilitates the warp drive. So now Riker has no choice to attack and fires everything he's got at the Shrike. But it uses the portal weapon to shoot the weapons back at them. And the ship now starts sinking towards the gravity well. And the Shrike is retreating. So... Mike, this is a hell of an ending to this situation here between uh, Riker and Picard. And as you said, he pulled a Kirk in essence, but uh, it come back to bite him in the ass. I thought of Hunt for Red October as well when Stellan Skarsgård thinks he's got the one up on uh, on Sean Connery and ends up blowing up their submarine. Yeah. So what did you think of everything that happened here with the saboteur, with the changeling situation, with Seven of Nine, and then here in the Pike, uh, Ricard, uh, Picard and Riker? Um, well... A lot of good stuff here. I mean, the seven of nine Jack Crusher team up for as quick and brief as it is. I'm like, oh, this is a good these this is a good twosome to put together. Yeah, like like these two are these two are get it done kind of people. Uh go into the thing. I'm really I'm curious about the whole vision he has with seven of nine because that's yeah. one of those things like I watched it and I was like, well, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. So I'm just going to file this away until the next episode or the next episode where I can be like, aha. So clearly yeah. what they were doing was this, but I'm not, I wasn't quite sure yet. So I found that interesting, but yes, the second that he punched the dude in the face and the dude's face kind of went wibbly, um, which I think is the proper scientific term. <laughs> um, wibbly. I was like, Oh no. Um, I got very, very excited. Um, and then like then confirmed in the following scene um with Worf and Raffi, which we'll get to in a minute. And so we'll talk about I'm gonna save the changeling stuff until we get yeah. to the Worf and Raffi stuff. But this was the but this was the moment where it kind of like, oh, now I see why you can't trust anybody. This makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so that was really interesting, knowing that there's a saboteur on board, knowing that this was going on, and just like watching the rising tension between Picard and Riker, because yeah. again. I don't think Picard is wrong in what he's saying here. Like what Riker is doing isn't working. They are not avoiding the Shrike. So they do need to change tactics. Um, but like I said, uh, he does go for the low blow, which given that he just got mad at Beverly about mm. not cool. And it goes about as well for him as it went for Beverly. Like <laughs> it's not great. Don't low blow people yeah, just cause you know, someone's deepest, darkest trauma doesn't mean in a moment when you need to get your way, you can be like, well, if your dad loved you, you would make this choice. You don't do that. It's not okay. Um, and Riker rightfully so gets really pissed. Like, fuck you. Yeah, he like, tells him I'm you can the... relieve yourself. Get off this bridge. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go great. But then, uh, again, just ratcheting up the tension kind of puts him in a position where he doesn't have choice. There is no warp. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. So he does what Picard says. He shoots. And when I tell you that the second they shot those torpedoes, that portal opened, and I literally, on my couch, just went... <laughs> fuck like it was a full fuck yeah because yeah. you're like oh and then just watching that portal open up you're like god damn that's a good weapon mm -hmm. um yeah just just really great and then as they are sort of you know careening into this nebula like whatever it is gravity well yeah, yeah, and Riker right. just straight up is like, uh, you've doomed us all. Yeah. And watching everybody else on the bridge kind of look at each other as these two people, these two legends are basically like, well, we're fucking dead. <laughs> it's episode three. They're obviously not fucking dead. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and again, like this is a lot of times as people say, like when you end an episode like this and everyone gets mad and they're like, well, I mean, obviously they're not dead. It's episode three and it's the leads of the show. So they're going to survive. We know they're going to survive. I don't know that Riker and Picard's relationship is going to survive. Like right. they have done such a great job of taking these two people. And in the first two episodes, giving us such nice, like I said, camaraderie, like the beginning yeah. of this episode, them in 10 forward in Los Angeles, having that talk, yeah. there's such a comfortability with the actors that feeds into a comfortability with them as characters. So that when the fact that they're able to go from that 10 forward scene, go through this episode and get you to the end and you believe that they've gotten to this point, that's just really, really good character work and storytelling. Yeah, yeah, 100% agreed, man. And I and I, I like the evolving relationship because Riker and Picard take their service seriously. Both those guys take their service seriously. So yes, 
I'll have a drink with you. We'll sit and talk about old times. I'll talk about, you know, being a dad and the experiences and I'll share that with you. And look, you're back in my life. Let's go on this adventure. I'm down to support you. But once I've been made captain of a ship, that's a whole nother ball game. And you just told me you're my number one, which means you can offer your input, but to batter me, to make me do something, that's a whole nother ball game. And then when it blows up in our faces, yeah, I need you to get the hell off my bridge because now we're done being friends in, because this is business. And so it's a different point of view. And I like that. And that happens in the military all the time. And so I like that they throw that element in here between Riker yeah. and Picard. And I agree with you. Seven of nine and Jack, that's a great twosome. I'm down with that twosome. Give me LaForge. And that's a great threesome as well as they try to uh, handle one of those, uh, whatever storyline is going up here with the changelings and all yeah. of that that's going to happen. I'm down. And who that. doesn't love a great threesome? <laughs> Well said, Michael. All right, let's get ourselves in trouble. Let's take a quick break and we'll get into the Raffi and Wharf side of things here real quick. All right, Mikey, let's get into some Raffi and Wharf stuff. Uh, let me find my notes uh, here. Uh, where are we at here? Where is, what goes on I here? believe we are probably at Raffi waking up and Wharf oh, yes. uh, doing his calisthenics to the exact same opera <laughs> that Picard is listening to at the beginning of First Contact. That's correct. We go to Raffi. We hear a news report still blaming Toluco for the terrorist attack, who is, of course, uh, Toluco. Toluco. Oh, what's that? Toluco. Toluco, that's right. Uh, she wakes up as Worf is practicing, as you said, his moves there. Uh, Rafi gets her blaster, walks in, and he disarms her pretty quickly. He introduces himself uh, and offers her chamomile tea, and he talks about the fact that he is, as you humans say, working on himself. They battle over the attacks that have happened. Rafi starts to have some withdrawals. He reveals that he reveals, Worf does, that a, guy, a person named Titus Ricca paid the Ferengi from the last episode to lie about Toluco. Worf says they will work together to find this person. Then we go to Metallus Prime. Rafi and Worf have a back and forth about uh, who's more uh, inconspicuous, but then they are discovered and uh, Titus takes off and then Worf captures him and absolutely slams him through a table there and gets him uh, um, uh, gets him uh, taking, essentially they subdue him. So then we go to Rafi and Worf doing this good cop, bad cop situation on Titus Ricca while he is uh, uh, handcuffed there uh, with some energy bracelets. Worf works his logic on him, and we see that this guy is suffering withdrawals, and now Rafi starts to play with him a, a little bit, and he finally breaks and reveals that he and like-minded souls broke into Daystrom, but the theft was a bit of a distraction, and so was the attack. They stole something more valuable, and then we see his face do what the saboteur's face did, fighting Jack, so this is obviously a changeling. Worf asks how long he's been away from the Great Link, uh, and we find out uh, that Worf tells us about the changelings being an enemy of the Federation when the Dominion, then the Dominion War ended, and a terrorist sect of the changelings didn't want to accept defeat, so Starfleet can't recognize this sect because it would reignite the war, and he was contacted by a close friend with, within the Great Link, a man of honor, hello, Odo, but Worf agrees with Raffi that they, the changelings, have stolen a much more dangerous weapon to attack Starfleet. The Changeling eventually becomes this liquid Changeling and uh, Worf shoots it and kills it. But they're left with this dread that there's something more coming. And of course, the warning from Titus when he's uh, being Titus, that Changeling, that they are going after the Federation. And uh, Worf offers Raffi a partnership to go after this, these Changelings and see what's going to happen. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on the uh, the storyline here between Raffi and Worf as it developed with this Changeling by the end? Um, really excited to have my boy Worf back. Hell uh, yes. M M MVP of Star Trek, Michael Dorn, warfing it up in the Worf, uh, just doing this thing. I liked, I like, I like the Raffi Worf stuff. I felt like the Raffi Worf stuff was a, like their relationship felt a little bit more forced than some of the other relationships that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was a lot of really fun stuff there. I liked the, you know, like Worf working on himself, chamomile tea, chamomile tea stuff, yeah. Raffi being like, you're not exactly what I expected. Like there was some good stuff here. I think the bigger challenge for me was like, they were trying to like kind of give them a little bit of back and forth, uh, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit of, little bit of butting heads, but they both wanted the same thing. So the scene kind of just ends with, and being like, yeah, like you want to do this case. I'm going to do this case with you. Let's go find this guy. Yeah. So I like them as a team. I like them as a duo together. I like how Worf being her handler is tying them. Like it's all coming, coming, coming together, which we knew it would, but it's happening really nicely and organically. Um, but their banter, like I, it wasn't quite, um, 
it was all good banter. It didn't feel a hundred percent as just boom. And not even just with the characters that have been together forever. Like I thought Jack Crusher uh, and seven of nine nine, just immediately where she was like, Oh, well you're insane. And they just seemed to like fall right into this. And this didn't feel quite as organic to me, but I liked all of it. Um, I really liked uh, once they got this guy uh, really setting it up that he was having withdrawal. Because mm-hmm. after going through everything we went through with Raffi in the last episode and her sobriety being such a big issue for her as a character, to kind of see her going through a little bit of withdrawal and then see him going, it was a great, it was a great uh, misdirect. Yeah. Because I just totally bought it. And it's p- particularly because, like, she was playing bad cop. Worf kind of came in playing good cop. And watching them do that and then him being through the withdrawal, I'm like, okay, so this is how they're going to get the information. Mm-hmm. So then when he went full changeling, it was like, oh shit. Uh, and that was, that was a great, great misdirect on their part. Yeah. Um, and then just the reveal that it is the changelings and just referencing the dominion war. I yeah. mean, this is like deep space nine was good. And then they kind of opened it up into the dominion war and all of this stuff um, with the founders and the changelings and everything else. And that's kind of where deep space nine just took off to become such a beloved part of star trek because again we've talked about this a little bit earlier on like star trek is sort of known for its standalone stories how each week you go on an adventure and next generation for the most part very much was that deep space nine when they went full dominion war like it became serialized before shows were that serialized Mm -hmm. and that's why people who are hardcore ds9 fans really love ds9 um and so kind of tying that in you're just firing on like look it's the same as Voyager was a great show, but once they were, got Seven of Nine in there, that's where Voyager really became what it did. So we've got right. Seven of Nine running around on the Titan. We've got the Dominion War and Changelings happening now. We've got the Next Generation cast. We're referencing Wrath of Khan. Like, yeah. this show is just like, hey, what's your what's your Star Trek? What you, it's like they are the we drug dealer, you. and Star Trek is the drug. Like, they're like, what you got? What you got? You want a little Khan? You want a little Voyager? You want a little <laughs> DS9? I got what you want. I got what you want. And I am here for it <laughs> they're almost like a ferengi dealer what do you need <laughs> i got it all it's a great point uh real quick some some uh um easter eggs on this thing um the great link for those you may not know if you come into picard you don't know, haven't seen ds9 refers to the massive shared pool in which most changelings coalesce <laughs> with each other so almost like a, a version of the borg but in a different way maybe it, you know it's like the borg except it's a giant lake mm-hmm. of goo people like it's a giant just like you just melt into it and you are just gooing it up with everybody else in one giant communal pool i don't know how people would feel about it but i kind of i know we lost renee abergenois back in 2019 um i would have loved to have seen some sort of hologram with odo maybe and maybe that's coming down the road i don't know because uh wharf referencing him it would be great to hear just Renee yeah. doing that voice again as he did as Odo. It would be great to see something. Maybe there's some database or something they can use. That maybe some deleted scene they never got to on DS9 that would be fun to see if they were able to do that. Um, another element of this is the actor who plays Titus Ricca. It is Thomas Decker. And for those of you who may not know this, Thomas Decker played Jean-Luc Picard's imaginary son, Thomas, in Star Trek Generations when he went to the Nexus. And then in Voyager, while still a kid, he played a hologram named Henry Burley, who existed in Janeway's hollow novel in the episodes Cathexis, Learning Curve, and Persistence of Vision. And now he's playing a changeling. So yet again, he's playing a Star Trek character who appears to be human, but is not. So shout out to Thomas Decker. Nice to see him back doing more Star Trek at this later age of his career and his life. So pretty cool to see that as well. Um, yeah, and I, and I look, I like their, I agree with you. I don't think there's quite as much magic in the um, Raffi Wharf scenes or in the relationship and the connection. And we'll see if that shows up. Because, of course, Raffi is also dealing with the withdrawals, dealing with the guilt yeah. over her family. She says that when she sits down. Why do I do this? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I sacrifice so much for this? So clearly she's got some internal stuff that she is working out. And so she has these emotional spurts, like when she was yelling at Titus and saying, no way does he get away with this. No way. So those are dangerous moments. And so having a, a person who has had his own emotional outbursts in the past, Worf, be this kind of calming energy presence, be this person who can kind of dull that a little bit so that she can kind of come back to normal and come out the other side of this situation that she's in right now emotionally and mentally is a good pairing to have. 
I just agree with you. I hope that I just agree with you that I hope there's more magic to come between them as they get more deeper into the overall storyline of stopping these changelings. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then like, and then just like bigger picture, what they're setting mm -hmm. up here uh, with the whatever that wasn't the portal weapon. That was the thing. That's the yeah. distraction. There's something much more important. Now I could be wrong, but you know, mm -hmm. like I said it last week, but like right behind you, right behind your shoulder is lore. Just chilling there. That ain't data. That's lore. And yes. it just feels like the Daystrom Inst Institute was introduced in season one of Picard because they were on the track of like everything was about, uh, you know, the whole artificial beings and like artificial, all the, all the, the, out, that was all outlawed after what had happened and all of this stuff that was surrounding data. And that was all important. And the Daystrom Institute was really all about that. And it just seems to me that if you have this offshoot of the changelings kind of threatening to potentially reignite the Dominion War, and what did they steal from the Daystrom Institute, and what could be so important, and why is Vatic after Jack Crusher, and what does it have to do with Picard? Like, again, it's just like lore, 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 lore. So, uh, so I'm uh, anxiously I'm awaiting to seeing where this goes. Yeah. It's an, and it's a nice bookend for Picard because, of course, the first season was all about him dealing with his feelings for Data and having yeah. Data come back and all of that. So having now Lore be the main villain, it's a nice way to kind of connect the entire series. And so uh, Lore with a terrorist sect of changelings, and we've still got Moriarty to come, and we'll see what role he has to play in all of this. There's a lot that they're like laying the really good foundation for that I think we're going to so enjoy once we get into the full meat of everything that is happening here and what the overall goals are for everybody who is involved in this, both antagonist and protagonist in season three of Picard, for sure. Michael, any final words here? I think we covered everything. So any final uh, words or thoughts here as we wrap up our spoiler review? Yeah, no, I'm just, you know, I, like I said, I think it's all firing on all cylinders. Like they are, they are, as we've done, and we didn't even hit everything in the, as far as Easter eggs go in this episode, yeah, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. they are just going so deep with the cuts so there is so much like just goodness as far as like a reference to this, a nod to this, uh, you know, tying it back to this uh, in such major ways. But at the same time, they are keeping this very squarely, a very emotional story about these core characters. Like if you think about it, you know, we Worf is over here with Rafi, but we've got Beverly Crusher, Picard and Riker all on one ship right now. And that all three relationships are not in the best place. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they've done it so nicely and organically and it's all really compelling, like, it's great. So I am uh, so glad that this is where Next Generation is going out and that not Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Yeah, so, and, uh, you know, with Worf, as Mike mentions these Easter eggs, Son of Moog, House of Martok, Son of Sergei, Bane to the Duras family, and House of Rosinko and Slayer of Gorwan. Those are all DS9 and TNG references. So if you want, you can head over to Den of Geek. Den of Geek does a great job breaking down these Easter eggs. They are absolutely my foundation and my go-to uh, when we do these reviews or any of the reviews that we do because they do a great job of breaking all this stuff down and finding it for it. So I like that they threw that in there. So if you want to go and research that, you can. Also, his phaser is different. So there's more Easter eggs we could have gotten to, but we just want to get to the meat of this because this was an episode that dealt with a lot of changing relationships and announcing one of the antagonists that we're going to be dealing with here in season three. So we hope you enjoyed our review of it uh, here on the Geek Buddies. Michael, what do we have to tell them? Hey, if you would like to follow us, you can do so on Twitter at geek underscore buddies, on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow John Roca, you can do it at the Roca says. If you would like to follow me, you can do it at MKTune. And if you have enjoyed this review and you want us to continue to talk about all Star Wars Easter eggs, references, and just nerdy goodness, here's what you can do to help us out. Uh, smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Where do you think things are going? What other villains do you think we are going to see how's it all going to tie together and where is jordy let us know what you think <laughs> below uh if you are listening to us on a podcast go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments so we go up in the rankings and as always the best thing that you can do is retweet this video post it on your socials send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies the geek buddies i'm right i want to reaffirm that we are a separate podcast feed so you can always listen to us 
If you want, go and find us wherever you download podcasts. We are not under the Outlaw Nation podcast feed. It's a separate podcast feed, the Geek Buddies. So go and subscribe to that. We'd appreciate that. And yes, as Michael said, share this with all your Star Trek friends. Share this on your Star Trek Facebook groups, on your Star Trek uh, uh, Instagram groups, on your on your uh, Discord groups. Share our show. We want to get more and more people to kind of turn to us for the, our spoiler reviews of Picard. We are enjoying doing them. We've gotten yeah. some nice feedback from a number of people, some people involved with the production of Picard. So that inspires us to keep going and cre- and doing these reviews. So help us get more people to be watching our reviews every week. So we all right, do you. love and if to you... engage oh boy, with our fans. Punch it, punch it. Uh, and also a big shout out to Carbon Health that continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. Head on over to carbonhealth.com or download the app to have a doc in your pocket for all your healthcare questions, concerns, or needs. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. Don't forget, we had our main show that dropped yesterday. Go and watch that as well. And we'll talk to you next time on another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.